Hello, I'm Owen. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. For more information on all that's going on at Wellspring, please visit www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3 as we're uh, continuing in our study in Ephesians in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14, but let me just give you a little bit of context as we do. Uh, Chapter 3 starts with a a revealing of a mystery. And there are mysteries, there's some mysteries in the Bible um, that God reveals to us, some things that um, in past ages, in past times, were not made clear, were not made known. But now, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, He's revealed them to us and He wants us to know them. They're mysteries. And the mystery that's revealed here that was hidden in past ages was this... um, this age, or what, what he calls in verse 2, this dispensation of the grace of God. It's a time period where God is showing his grace in such a great way toward us, uh, the church, the body of Christ. And what is the church? What is that body of Christ? It's made up of both Jew and Gentile alike. It doesn't matter your, your race. It doesn't matter your your you know, economic standing, where you're at in society, your culture, your language, all those barriers were broken down. And what really matters, what really matters is that you are in Christ Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will unite this body of, of very diverse individuals into His purpose and His, and His glory. And so it's in that context that then Paul... Praise for the church. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is Paul's prayer to the church. And by the way, this is not his first prayer that we read in Ephesians. The first prayer was found in Ephesians chapter 1, where he was praying for the believers there, praying for the church there. And uh, now we see his um, second prayer here in in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 14. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you... By the way, that's the, that's the title of this morning's message, is apply for a grant. Apply for a grant. So that's what he's doing here. The apostle is applying for a grant 
from the Father to the, to the church. He says uh, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, how? By faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, just making sure we're following here. Paul says, I bow my knees unto the Father. As he prays, he says, I bow my knees to the Father. Now you and I both know that there's no specific command for the posture of prayer. We see examples of all different types of posture. We see people in the Bible kneeling. We see them sitting. We see them standing. We see them laying. Right? That's not what's necessarily as important. However, sometimes the outward posture reflects what's really going on inwardly, right? And that does matter. See, we cannot come to God in pride. We cannot. The Bible says God resisteth the proud. And going back to the message, the fear of the Lord, if God resists you, <laughs> you have no chance. God resisteth the proud, but what does the Bible say? But giveth grace unto the humble. We cannot come to God in pride. Our prayers would go no farther than the ceiling as we come to Him in our own pride. So the posture of our heart is what is important as we go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus Himself gave us a parable of this. He told a parable of And he's speaking to people that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I always thought that was interesting. Jesus starts this parable in Luke 18. He's talking to people that trust in themselves and then he throws in there and they despise others. You know, when we we are working for our own self-righteousness, we have kind of a judgmental attitude where we look down on other people. When we recognize God's grace poured out on us. My goodness, you know what that causes in our hearts? The love of God to be shed abroad. There's no way that we can begin to despise others when we are recognizing that we did not get what we deserved. We come to God in humility. And he tells the story or the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Two ends of the spectrum here. The, the, the sinner and the saint in people's eyes, if you would. But not in God's eyes. And he says in Luke 18, verse 11, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. 
I like that. I have that underlined in my Bible. Because whenever you're praying in pride, no matter how flowery the words, no matter how you know, wonderful it sounds, you're praying with yourself. Amen. And what makes all the difference about prayer is if you're praying with God. That makes all the difference. Regardless of the words, regardless of the other things, you know, you're just blah, 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 talking to yourself. But when you come to God in humility, you get His attention, you get His ear. He says, I thank Thee. Look at, look at this. I thank thee, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. Can you imagine that in church? Even as this guy, thank you, I'm not like him. Look at ease, a mess, right? I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, here's a whole different posture. A whole different posture of heart. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven. But smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. <laughs> Boy, there's just something about those words when it matches the, the, the humble heart that just, I mean, it stops heaven in its tracks. There's something about God hearing a sinner cry out from his heart in sincerity that gets his attention. It says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know what really matters? (laughs) Not how you came to church, but how you go home. (laughs) You know, the, the, the Pharisee went home the same way that he came, but the publican, he went home different. You say, how did he go home? He went home justified. Just as if he'd never sinned. He found a Savior. He found forgiveness. And that's what it takes is to come to God in prayer and humility. It's not all the words that we say, but it's the posture of our heart. And Paul, the apostle, the one that God used to write most of the New Testament. You know what he did on behalf of other believers? He got down on his knees. And he humbled himself and said, God, would you grant them something? Would you give them something? Would you give these believers something that they need? Remember, the Bible says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I want to stop right there. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, if we were to come to God and believe that he is who he says he is, By definition, we'd have to come humbly. I mean, if you really know who God is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we really know who God is, we wouldn't just, you know, wow. When we come to him, we would have to come humbly, recognizing who we are, right? And he says this in the next verse. So not only is Paul humbling himself to ask God for a grant for the church, he says in verse 15, of whom the whole family... And heaven and earth is named. He's the father of the whole family. Heaven and earth. We take his name, right? Isn't it great to think that we are a part of the family of God? I mean, to think that we are a part. I want to tell you, we ended last week in chapter 2, verses um, you know, 19 to 22. And remember, we were talking about, he says in verse 19, we're no more strangers or foreigners, right? There was a time where we were far away from God. 
but now have been brought nigh. We've been brought in. Now we're citizens of heaven, right? And he says in verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You know what's amazing? Is we here this morning as Christians, true born-again Christians, are built into the same building as the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, of whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto the Unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. To think that we've been built into Christ, into the family of Christ, into the body of Christ. My goodness, to think that we've been made a Christian. You know, we use that word that we're Christians. But boy, there's a, there's a, high, there's a high value to that name. That we take on Christ's name. That we, that we claim to be a follower of Christ. Can I say this? I've said this multiple times. But if you're a Christian, a child of God, that is the best thing about you. Amen. Of all your gifts, of all, your, of all the things that you have, the best thing about you is that you're a child of God. That you're part of the family of God. That you've been born again and made close to the Lord. And it wasn't always that way. We studied this too in Ephesians chapter 2, remember? Verses 2 and 3, where he says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. Among whom also you had your conversation or way of life in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature. The children of wrath, even as others. To think that at one time, we were children of disobedience. We were children of wrath. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and because of the gospel of Christ, we've been brought in, and now we are made uh, close to God. We're not just... I, I, I said this the other day. He didn't just accept us into heaven. But He made us part of His family. I mean, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is good news. (laughs) I mean, this is good news. It doesn't get any better than that. To be a child of God, it's the best thing about us. And Paul goes on. So he says, he recognizes who he's addressing. And he says in verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul's asking for a grant. Applying for a grant for the church at Ephesus. What is the grant? That according to his riches, God's riches, and his strength, and his power, the power of his spirit, that he would strengthen the believers, their inner man. Strength to face the battles that are ahead of us. Strength to face the battles that are without in the world that we live in. And within, and our own sinful natures that we struggle with, that we battle with. You know, we live just like the church at Ephesus did. Um, they experience more persecution than we do, but we still live in the same world. And it's the same God of the same world that's in control. God with a small g. The God of this world is hostile to the believers, to the Christians. 
The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so for the church to operate in this world, you know what we're going to have to have? We're going to have to have strength. We're going to have to have strength from God to do what He's called us to do. To be able to put up with ourselves, you know. I know that the world is hostile toward us and that there's troubles in the world and temptations in the world. But i got to be honest with you. My biggest problems don't come from out here. My biggest problems come from me. My biggest issues, uh, my biggest temptations, my biggest problems come from right here. I need a lot of strength just to deal with this, right? And so the Holy Spirit is the way to deal with the troubles and trials and temptations and our own fallen nature. Yes, we've been born again, but we're still dragging around that old man for now, that old woman for now. You're still, still having to put up with that. And the Holy Spirit is the source of the power. For us to stay on fire, to stay encouraged, to stay in the fight. He's Jesus telling the, the apostles and disciples as they are transitioning from Old Testament doctrine to New Testament. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit which will empower them. He says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what he's telling the church, the believers then and there? Hey, when the Holy Spirit indwells you and seals you, you know what you'll receive? You'll receive power. Power to renew, to be strengthened inside. To do what He's called us to do. What has God called us to do as a church, by the way? He's called us to be a witness. We are called to tell the world about the gospel. That God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, according to the Scripture. That He was buried and that He rose again, according to the Scripture. That's what our message is. We're to be witnesses of that. If we've experienced that, you know what we're called to do? To tell it. But we have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit power. A spirit powered church. One that has that, that power. You know, we're called to be a bright light in a dark world, aren't we? But we can't do that unless we're plugged in. Right? we got to be plugged into the power source. I believe that there's a lot of church buildings that the lights are out. You say, why are the lights out? Well, they're not plugged into the Holy Spirit. we got to be. Of course, now there's solar power, right? We can get our power directly from the sun. Jesus Christ himself. And if the sun shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. There's power in the sun, isn't there? There's power in the sun. But how is it that we're to be renewed? How is it? We must be. Paul knows. That's why he's praying for this grant. You know what he knows? That just our everyday life, our everyday life will wear us down spiritually. That this is a battle. There's a warfare. First off, a lot, of people, a lot of Christians don't even know they're in a warfare. They don't even realize it's a battle. But we are. And if we're not careful, you know what we'll do? We'll get worn out, weary. And the Bible calls it we faint. You know, we just quit. We just give up. We just go with the flow. Whatever way, you know, we're just, we got zero spiritual strength. That's not how the church, that's not how, that's not why Christ died. He died to give us the power that we need, the resurrection power. That's the type of power that he wants us 
as a church to show. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, For which cause we faint not. I want you to say that with me. We faint not. Say that with me. We faint not. You may have come into church this morning thinking, you know what? If God doesn't do anything, I quit. I'm done. I'm wore out. This fight is too much. I'm done fighting with this. I'm done fighting with that. I'm done. You know what? Maybe the message for you this morning is we faint not. You know what you need? You need a a new boost of energy. You need a new boost of the Holy Spirit of God just rushed into you. Uh, I'm not talking about some craziness. I'm talking about what God has prepared for us. The indwell, I'm saying this, the third person of the Trinity move inside and work. Something's going to be different. Something's going to be different. He says, we faint not. Though our outward man perish, you know what? The outward man's going to perish. We all know that. It's appointed on the man once to die. We know that the outward man slowly is going to perish. We can't keep the outward man alive forever. But the inward one will. The outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. How often? Day by day. Day by day. You know how often we need a spiritual renewing? You say, well, I need, so, I need a spiritual renewing. Uh, you know, it's been a while. You know, yeah, we need it daily. Maybe many times more than that. You know, the, the, the barrage of things that come at us throughout a, a given day, we may need re- renewed you know, hour by hour. It's, that's how it is, isn't it? Has your phone ever, ever started going, you know, die? You're losing all the power at a, a bad time. Maybe you're like, didn't bring a cord with you and you're, you got GPS in your end somewhere and it's like the, the, it's the, the batteries are going dead. You know, you start to panic, right? You think, oh, I'm going to be lost in the middle of civilization, right? You know, in the middle of a, you know, I'm going to be lost. You start to panic. But honestly, it's the, kind of the same way. We need to have, keep our batteries charged. We need to. Without the, being plugged into the Holy Spirit, without the power source, that spiritual renewing day by day. He mentions it again in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed. Think of that every day when we wake up. That, hey, I need to be renewed. I need to set my mind off. I need a, I need a, you know, I need to, the strength, the spiritual strength for the day. For what He's called me to do today. How often? Daily. You know, we could get spiritually drained. We can get spiritually weak. And Paul knows that. Again, Paul knows that. So he's saying... He's saying, Lord, would you strengthen them? Would they come to you? Would they abide in you? Would they dwell in you? So that they can be spiritually strong, spiritually able to face the things that we face. And we all do. We all do. Isaiah 40, verse 29 through 31. You know this passage. It's a good one. The Bible says, He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I always think of that, wait upon the Lord. You know, I always think of that as um, anticipating. It's faith. You know, if I'm waiting on a plane, I better have a ticket. You know what I mean? I'm anticipating that eventually that gate's going to open. If I'm waiting on a bus, you know, I better be at a bus stop, right? 
When you're waiting on the Lord, you know what you're doing? You're anticipating Him to show up. You might be in trouble right now and things might be looking bad right now, (laughs) but you're anticipating Him to show up. He gives you the strength to continue on. He gives you the ability to keep going and keep going. He says, He that waiteth upon the Lord, but they that waiteth upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He's praying for their spiritual strength. He's praying for their spiritual strength. And he mentions how this is going to come about in verse 17. He says that Christ, verse 17 of Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? By faith. By faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. By faith. How, how, what's, you know, um, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing God's word and walking into obedience with it. That's how we dwell in Christ. That's how Christ dwells in us. That's how we abide in Christ, Christ dwelling in us. That's what we have to have to have that power, to have that strength rooted and grounded. I like the words he uses in this verse to show spiritual strength, to show spiritual growth, to show fruitfulness of a Christian. He uses dwell. Right? Rooted and grounded. You know, this isn't wishy-washy Christianity. This is something where you get planted and you get some roots. Right? The Bible tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ work in our own hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell. Listen, how richly is God's word in your heart dwelling? You've got to be in it day in, day out. If we're going to have a daily uh, renewing, I think we have to have a daily feasting on God's word, daily eating, daily bread. I think we do. And, and again, it's not just reading to read, which sometimes after you've get a, got a discipline, um, that's easy to do. But then stop everything else in your mind and heart. Pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you into your Bible reading that day and focus on the word. That's hard for me. Sometimes I'm, you know, planning the day as I'm reading my Bible. We got to stop that. We got to focus and really let God's word dwell richly in our hearts in order to be spiritually strengthened. He says to be rooted, to be rooted. When I think of that, I think of uh, the Psalms one, the blessed man, right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know, the blessed man doesn't go with the flow. He doesn't go with those, those groups of people, the ungodly or the sinners or the scornful. But his delight, you know where he does go? He goes to God's word. You know where she does go? She goes to God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord and his law doth he meditate. How often? Day and night, all day. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's fruitfulness. But first, you have to be planted. You have to have roots. You have to get down in. I I believe the secret to uh, a fruitful Christian life has far more... This is why... You know, religion is somewhat dangerous at times because religion puts a huge premium on what other people can see. Not Christ. Christ looks at the heart. Religion puts a huge premium on what other people can see. 
what they see you doing, see all this sort of stuff. But I'm telling you, to have a true, spiritual, fruitful life is all going to be below the surface. Things that people can't see. It's the roots that determine the fruits. Not the other way around. And if we're not rooted in God's Word, the stuff that nobody sees, the stuff all alone, your quiet devotion, that's where the fruitfulness comes. That's where the strength comes. The things that no one sees. Grounded. Grounded in what? Grounded in what? That's important. If you're supposed to have a foundation, what's the foundation? What are we to be grounded in? Him. Right? Grounded in Him. He's our foundation. He's our rock. Grounded in, the Bible says Colossians 2.7, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein, therein with thanksgiving. Grounded in the gospel, Colossians 1.23, it says, if you continue in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. You know what we should know as God's people, as a church, as those who are called to preach the gospel? You know what we should know? We should know the gospel. It's our message. It's our calling. It's, our, it's one of our main purposes here on earth is to share the gospel with our children, with our family members, with our nieces and nephews, right? With our neighbors, with our co-workers. This is our purpose. This is our calling. And we have to be grounded in the gospel. Grounded in Christ. Grounded in the gospel. Are you dwelling in Christ? Are you rooted and grounded in Him? This is how we're going to spiritually grow. Paul's praying that God would grant them this. You know, a fruitful church is one that is dwelling in Christ, is rooted in Christ, is grounded in Christ, and grounded in the gospel of Christ. This is how we're going to be renewed. This is how we're going to uh, shine the light and, and be able to be spiritually fruitful. Then he goes on. He continues his prayer in verse 18. Ephesians 3 and verse 18. He says, this is what he's praying that God would grant them, that they may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, and that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. His prayer, by the way, is to all saints. This isn't just for some. This isn't just for a select few. That they would know all the dimensions of God. That they would know the love of God. He wasn't praying for just a few. You know what he was praying? For all saints. Every believer. Every member of the body. Every part of the body. He's praying that they would comprehend. That they would know the dimensions of God. His love that he says passes human knowledge. To comprehend. You know, he's saying, hey... I pray that the believers, the Christians, would grasp, would be able to wrap their mind around, be able to get a hold of the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. You know what I think we're in danger of? I've mentioned this, and I keep going back to the fear of God message because it's a key. Is I think we've, we, we see one side of God, one dimension of God, and then we make God one-dimensional. That He's just this one thing. God is love. That's true. 
That is true. More than we could ever know. But there's more dimensions to God than just that. There's, he's bigger than just that. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And you know what he would have us realize as a church? That we'd have a, we would start to understand the vastness of God. How big God is. The dimensions of God. He is bigger than us. <laughs> he has more dimensions than us. He is vast. And, and he, Paul is praying, hey, I would think the church would get an, a, a grasp of who God is. Of Him and His love toward us. You know, if you were to buy a piece of property, you know what you do? You go check it out. You go look at it. You start looking around, trying to get to know it, all the different parts of it. You know, a new baby is born, right? And you know what you do? You start, you start learning more about it. First, you just check the features. Who does he or she look like? You know, does it have all its fingers and toes, right? Then you start to learn the personality and what they're, what they're like. That's what he's saying for, for, for a Christian, that we, would, that we would seek after God and begin to grow in understanding of Him and who He is and His dimensions. He's praying that the church would know God and His love toward them that secures them. That secures them. We know that there's no dimension of evil. No matter how evil a big evil is, there's no uh, evil that can separate us from God. Romans 8 tells us that. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, he said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Isn't that amazing? He says, we're more than conquerors. Now, I don't know if you feel that way every day. I certainly don't feel like a conqueror every day, right? But I am through him that loved us. Paul said, for I am persuaded. And I think it's important. I think it's important for Christians to be persuaded. You know, again, I think there's so much wishy-washiness. So much, there's so few Christians grounded in the gospel and grounded in the word that we're not persuaded of anything. We have no idea what we really even believe. Paul says, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. You know what Paul said? There is nothing that could convince me that there's something out there that can separate me from God. I am persuaded that I am 100%, 100% secure in God. He said, I am persuaded that death. He, he said, well, what if you die, Paul? Well, then I'll be in it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death cannot separate me from God's love, nor life, nor angels. You say, well, what about how evil and wicked Satan and all his minions are? He says, they can't, they can't separate me from God or principalities or powers or things present. You say, what about all your problems right now, Paul? Well, that, that can't separate me from the love of God. Well, what about the future? The future's going to get really bad, Paul. What do you think about that? He says, nope, I don't think things to come are going to separate me from the love of God. Nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what Paul had? He had a big God. And you and I do too. You and I do too. We have the same God. He's big. But sometimes we stress about the problems of this world as if God's small. Think about it this way. What type of a witness are we to this world when the problems of this world stress us out? 
Our God is far, far, far bigger than that. He spoke this world into existence. And one day he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Listen, we don't have to stress about these things. Our God is far bigger than the problems. Far bigger than the problems. Somebody, I heard this quote not too long ago. I'd heard it before, but someone said, you know, you make sure you tell God about your problems. But sometimes it's better to tell your problems about your God. You think you, you think you got problems? Tell them about your God. About the God that is bigger than all of our problems. Greater than anything that we could ever face. We serve a big God. And Paul's saying, hey, I wish the church could comprehend God and his dimensions to wrap their mind around all these sort of things. And when we do, when we rep- recognize how big he is and then his love toward us, that not just that he's love, he is but that his love is toward us. That's what he's saying. Then we'll be filled. That's what verse 19, he said that that ye might be. When we comprehend it, when our minds start wrapping around it, when we start getting the revelation of who God is, then we'll be filled with the fullness of God. Now that verse is amazing to me. Little old me. Filled with the fullness of God. It's bigger. He's bigger than me. It's more than I can handle. More than I can hold. You know what I feel like? is a, There's a great human pain of emptiness. Today, in this society, there's a great human pain of people just feeling empty. And they go and they try to consume products. Buy stuff, get stuff, accumulate stuff, consume stuff to fill the emptiness. And it obviously isn't working. So they consume pharmaceuticals to fill an emptiness. And it obviously isn't working. Sadly, the church, the children of God are in the same boat as the children of wrath when it comes to this. That we're just empty. We don't find any purpose, no meaning, no no, uh, real fullness in life. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. The children of God have no need to be empty. We could be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. Little old wellspring filled with the fullness of God. (laughs) I mean, when you're filled with God, you're full. I don't know how, it's like taking a million trillion gallons of water and trying to fill a little cup. It's like releasing the Hoover Dam to fill your water bottle. That's what, I mean, you you get what I'm trying to say? It's way more than we'd ever be able to handle. He'll fill us to full and overflowing. It'll be like a well springing up into everlasting life that we can be filled with the fullness of God when we begin to recognize who He is. In all of his dimensions, in all of his vastness, in all of his glory, and then recognize that all of his love is toward us, his church, his people. Wow. (laughs) It would never run dry. Never run dry. Never feel like, oh, I'm just, you know. No, I got all the purpose in the world. All the, all the, you know, all the motivation in the world. 
Motive. I have a great motive to serve God. So I'm motivated, right? That's what it is. Filled with Him and His purpose in and through us. And then he ends his prayer. This is how Paul ends his prayer for God to grant the church these things. Now, he says in verse 20, unto him, God, the Father, the family of all, right? All of us, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is working in what? Us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So he ends his prayer. Now unto him. Now unto him. Right? That is able. Again, go back to God's people getting a revelation of God. God's church getting a revelation of God that he is able. That he is able. While you're praying, if you're remembering that he is able, I think that'll empower your prayer, don't you? It'll empower your prayer. If during your everyday life you're living, remembering, now he is able. Now he is able. I mean, he is absolutely able. Paul's benediction, he's honoring God. It's honoring to God to talk about how powerful he is and how wonderful he is. He's honoring him saying, God, you're able to do anything. (laughs) Exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. We serve a great God who is able. We as God's people can and should live in victory. Why? Because he's able. He is able exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. We should live in this victory. And then he talks about, unto him be glory in the church. This is a main purpose. We say this all the time. There's three purposes of this church. And first and foremost is to glorify God. You know what he wants from us? You know what he wants from us? He wants glory in the church. You know the world doesn't glorify him. The world is against God. The world system from the very beginning, human government since the very beginning seems to be against God. It has gone throughout the ages. It's against him. But you know who's not supposed to be? His church, his bride, his people, us. That we are supposed to be that light in this dark world, a world that is ruled by the God of this world, Satan. That there's supposed to be these little outposts all over where God is being glorified and God is being worshipped and God is being prayed to and God is being sung to and God is being uh, looked to and, and all his people are placing their faith in him for all the things that we face on a daily basis. To God be glory in the church. For how long? Forever. Forever. One day, one day, you and I in our glorified bodies, when sin has been eradicated and Satan adjudicated, one day you and I will easily glorify God. It won't be any struggle. It'll be the most natural, wonderful thing that we do. There'll be no temptations. There'll be no hindrances. There'll be nothing like that. But today, 
there are hindrances, and there are temptations, and there's trials, and there's troubles. And we have to decide to do it. We have to decide to glorify God and sing praises to Him and trust Him and all these things in our fallen natures. But there's just something about it. And I don't know. I'm still trying to learn about God. Why is it that He's so pleased with that? Why is it that God, who created everything, who made everything, looks down on a little congregation and looks down on congregations all around the world today that meet together in His name, that pray together in His name, that sing songs to His name, that preach about His Son that died for the sins of the world. Why is it that, that God is pleased with that? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that He is. I know that that glorifies Him here and now. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that. You're a part of the church, the body of Christ, that is called to glorify God both now and in all ages, forevermore. Isn't that great? So as we close, as we close, we're going to sing that. We're going to sing to God be the glory. And I'm going to ask the church to sing it with all our might. Sing it from our hearts. Lift up our voices together as we do that. Listen, He did not leave us powerless. He did not leave us purposeless. No, He is working in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit's power. Why? Why would He choose to work in and through us in the Holy Spirit's power? Because He's building a church. He's building a church for Himself. One that will glorify Him both now and forever. Some of these same things we can pray for, for our church. That God would renew us, that we would have that spiritual strength, that our minds would comprehend who God is and His love toward us. And when He does, and when He does, we will be filled with the fullness of God. Can you, can you picture a believer filled? Just try to pick, wrap your mind around this for a second. A, one believer filled with the fullness of God. It would just be an overflow. That's what it would be. It would be a constant overflow of God's Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit just constantly coming out of their life, being a help and a blessing to all around. Now picture a church. A church filled with the fullness of God. It'd be the same thing. It'd be a church and just everywhere that the church would make an impact in the community and in the world. The fullness of God just overflowing from them. We should pray for this. It's, it's possible. It's possible. He wouldn't, he wouldn't tell us about it if it wasn't. It's possible for us and for our lives. And here's the thing. Lastly. Commit. Glorifying God with your life for the rest of your life. Commit to it. Say, this is my great purpose, is to point others to Christ. To glorify God with my life, with my words, with my deeds, with my actions, with all that I am, to glorify God.
Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We'd love to hear from you and learn how you've been encouraged or challenged by this podcast. Leave a comment on the Contact Us page on our website. Or write to us at 2094 East State Route 73, Waynesville, Ohio, 45068. And feel free to visit us if you're in the South Dayton, Ohio area.